This morning we're going to be in Hebrews 11 still in our, in our series on heroes. And uh, it was interesting, we had uh, John Culver, who I know preached here last week, and uh, we had him open our series uh, up at, at the Sugar Grove campus in, in Hebrews. And uh, it, was, it was funny, um, he was wearing a sweatshirt, uh, a hoodie sweatshirt, and uh, uh, Becky looks over at me. He's standing in the back. She looks over at me and says, is that what he's wearing? <laughs> and and it, it, it was for purpose. He had, he had on a, a Batman t-shirt underneath, I believe. But, but it was interesting that, that he's, you know, he, he was playing off of this theme of, 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 of the heroes. And, uh, and so he got to speak about some of the heroes, some of his favorite superheroes. So uh, since I have the pulpit this morning, I'm going to do the same. Um, I loved, or I, I, me and my boys love the, the Avengers series that's going on right now. And uh, there's a lot of good things that are, that are happening with it that uh, are, are good teaching moments for the boys. And, my, and the girls as well, but Emma doesn't like it as much. But uh, sometimes she just has to suffer through it. Um, but my heroes growing up weren't superheroes. Uh, I watched the cartoons and, and all of those, but, but as you know, I love baseball. And the older I get, the more I love it. Now my boys are playing, and it, it's, it's that much more enjoyable. I grew up listening to uh, Harry Carey and Ryan Sandberg on the radio. I would sneak a clock radio in, into my room at night in the, in the summer and, and listen to baseball growing up. Uh, I grew up watching Greg Maddox and Tom Glav and John Smoltz, these guys that were larger-than-life characters to me. Uh, Sammy Sosa and, and uh, uh, Mark McGuire uh, chasing the home run record. But even these guys weren't my heroes. These guys still weren't my hero. My hero imparted all of his baseball wisdom on me by the age of seven. By the time I was seven, he taught me everything he knew. By the age of 11... He couldn't play catch with me anymore because I was throwing too hard. I would hurt his hand. Those are his words, not mine. My hero would bring me alongside him when he was working on a, on a project at home. We would be working on a project, and uh, I would be hammering in nails or screwing in screws, probably causing far more damage than, than what I was helping. If you haven't figured it out yet, and maybe I'm a week too late, but my hero was my dad. Growing up, I could always count, him, count on him being, being there at my games, but not just being at my games, but showing me what, what being a man looked like. I think we see that in this passage this morning, that, that uh, Abraham isn't just teaching Isaac uh, the fun things of life. He's teaching him the hard things, the, the, the things of substance that, that really matter in life. Before we jump into our passage, though, I think it's, I think it's important to, to, to get a background of what's going on here. Because if we simply open, open this and, and, and look at this episode, this story of, of Abraham and Isaac, and, and Abraham sacrificing Isaac, then we don't do it justice. We have to, we, we have, to have this idea, this, the, the background knowledge of what's going on here. So we're going to do a quick overview. We'll, we'll be in Genesis for the, most of, the majority of our time, but 
our, our, our text is going to be in Hebrews 11, but uh, mainly in Genesis 22. But I'm going to just do a quick overview here. So uh, last week we talked about uh, Abraham going out of his homeland and, and, and going into the land of Canaan in, in chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12. In that same chapter, we see that, uh, that Abraham um, allows his wife Sarah to go into the home of Pharaoh. A bad decision by Abraham. Pharaoh then confronts, confronts Abraham, and, and he, he goes back on that. Chapter 13, we see the separation of Abraham and Lot. And, and Lot chooses, chooses the green area, the, the ground that's easy to, to till. This is also the land of, of, uh, of Sodom. In chapter 14, we see that Sodom's captured, and, and, uh, and then Abraham takes 318 men against four kings, and they rain down destruction, and they rescue Lot. They rescue the city of Sodom by God's hand, not his. In Genesis 15, we see that, that on the way back from this, that, uh, that God makes this covenant with Abraham. This is, this is like, as I was thinking about this this week, this is like a superhero movie. There's floating pots. There's animals being sacrificed. This isn't something that we would just come up with on our own. God makes this covenant with Abraham, and, and this is a seems to be a, a huge turning point in, in Abraham's life, a, a pivotal moment. In, uh, in chapter um, 16, we see that uh, Sarai, his wife, she hasn't been renamed yet, has this great idea, since they can't have children, for, for Abraham to, to sleep with her maidservant. Great idea, which the consequences of which are, we're still seeing politically today in the land of Palestine. As we continue looking at Abraham's life, we see in, the, in his late 90s, when he's 99 years old, God calls Abraham to be circumcised. He's 99 years old. Normally this happens to, to our boys when they're, uh, when they're still in the hospital. But God, all the way through all of these things, are, he's testing Abraham. In chapter 19, we see that, um, or ch sorry, chapter 18, we see that uh, Abraham is interceding for, for Sodom. He's, he's talking with God. He's having this conversation back and forth, pleading with God, God, if I could find 50 righteous men in this city. God says, go, go, see if you can find 50. God knew the answer to that. In chapter 19, we see that uh, Lot's wife doesn't believe what's happening and turns back and she's turned into a pillar of salt. In, in chapter 20, we see Abraham, uh, the story between Abraham and Abimelech, and, and Abraham introduces his wife as his sister. Again, great decision by Abraham. Not. God sends a dream to Abimelech and, and, and lets him know that this is another man's wife. This is Abraham's wife. This isn't his sister. 
Lastly, we see in Genesis 21 the, the promised birth of, of Isaac. This is, this is Abraham's understanding of who God is and the way God operates, that when I do things on my own, bad things tend to happen. And when I follow what God has for my life, blessing comes. As we continue to look at that, as we continue to look at this story, remember that, that, that as Abraham does bad things or does things on his own, bad things happen. And when he follows God, blessing comes. So I'm going to read our passage this morning in, in, in Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, and then I'll ask God's blessing on our time. In Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, the writer of Hebrews says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was, uh, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be, uh, sorry, be named. He considered that God was ab able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I pray that, that you would calm our hearts, Lord, from a, a week of stress, a week of uh, anxiety. Lord, you know uh, the issues of our lives and the baggage that we bring here this morning. But I pray that as we study this story, this episode in Abraham's life, that Lord, that we would be able to know that you are God. Lord, you are in control of all of these situations. Lord, as we look at this test of Abraham and the true character of that, that, that we would be able to draw these truths out and apply them to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this morning and and that I would move out of the way. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so the first thing that we see is that God's call on any of our lives, God's call demands a relationship. You see, this is why God created man. God didn't create us to simply be another just piece in the puzzle of his creation. We're told that, we're not told that, that God is walking in the cool of the day with the lions or the lambs, the giraffes or the gazelles, the elephants or the iguanas. But he's walking in the cool of the day with Adam. There's a relationship here. God demands this out of us. Those, that, those of us that call Jesus Lord, he demands this relationship. And this isn't like a, an over-demanding father or anything like that. But just as I demand a relationship out of, my, out of my children, God demands the same out of us. The first thing that we see is that, is that this relationship is intimate. If, we, if you turn with me to, to Genesis now, and we'll be here uh, for the majority of our time, uh, God is talking with Abraham here. Abraham knows God's voice in this. 
in, in verses 1 and 2, ch chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to, to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go into the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. You see, the, his response isn't one that he, he doesn't know who's talking to him. There's an intimacy here. He has, a, he has a constant conversation with God that's going on, on a daily basis. Abraham knows God's voice. If someone were to call me, call my name, and I don't recognize them, all I'm doing is turning my head. Like, who just, who, who, who's calling my name? But Abraham's response is, here I am. And then he listens to exactly what God's calling him to. This voice is not unfamiliar to him. Uh, there's an intimacy, again, to, to who he's talking to. In both ways. Abraham talking with God and, and God talking with Abraham. Over the past year, um, I've, I, I don't know what's happened, but I, I keep running into uh, uh, students that I went to high school with. And I went to West Rural High School. I graduated with about 600, 600 other students, and, um, and I don't look the same as I did in high school. Uh, Tom and I were just talking in the back about uh, how much... Uh, calories I consume at, at, a, at, a, at a single single time that I eat and uh, we had a good laugh about that but it's funny that they didn't recognize these students didn't recognize me by my appearance I don't look the same I'm about a hundred pounds heavier than what I was when I graduated high school uh, I used to have hair I used to be a pretty good-looking guy um, that was not a joke that was not meant to be a joke but they recognize me from my voice. I, I don't know. I don't, seem, I, I don't think that I have a, a very distinctive voice. But somehow each of these uh, students, I think it's happened three or four times, former, former students, former classmates recognize me by my voice. This is much the same as what's happening here, is that, that Abraham, God is calling him. He's saying, Abraham. And he recognizes it right away. There's an intimacy there. This relationship is also invaluable. It's also invaluable. You see, because Abraham views God through his past experiences, he can place value on these things. Not a monetary one, but, but an experiential or relational value. It's similar to what I have with my wife and kids. There's a value that I have there. And so... What we see here is, is each of these episodes in Abraham's life that, we, that, we, that I just covered from, from Genesis 12 to Genesis 20, through Genesis 21, each of these are, are playing into to his paradigm, the way he views God, the way he views the world. And so there's, there's value there for him. God had not completely followed through on all of the promises, yet some, most of the promises Abraham would never even realize. He would never see the fruition of. And yet, and yet we see that, and we'll talk about it in a minute, that Abraham acted on exactly what God asked him to do. 
you see, the, great, the greatness of these promises is the birth of Isaac. That's the greatest portion of, of the promises that Abraham received, that he recognized. This was the pinnacle of those promises. This was the ultimate promise that God had given to him, and this, this was the promise that he had long waited for. Remember, uh, Isaac was 100 years old when, when him and uh, um, Sarah, sorry, when him and Sarah finally got pregnant with, with Isaac. Most of you have children, and, or some of you have children. Some of you are a little young yet. But, um, but you understand the value that your children have. Becky and I can, can relate to this, this angst, this desire to, to have children and not be able to. We, we when we got married, we both wanted children. I wanted ten. She wanted two. We settled in the middle with three. And so, um, but, but for years, we were unable to have children. And so we, we, we have this slight understanding. Now, we didn't have to, I didn't have to wait till I was 100 years old, thank goodness. But, but we have this understanding of this burning desire, this one thing that we want more than anything else and not be given for a period of time. When that's given, though, we hold this thing, these, these children, so precious to us. And here, Isaac, or I'm sorry, Abraham is doing the same. What we learn through this, though, is, is that through these trials, through these, these tests in our lives, that, that these are, are the things that, are, that our faith is, is really rooted in that we can put our trust in God because God always has our best interest at heart. Always. And God is always perfect in everything that he does. Even in the hard things of life. This is where our past experience plays into our current perception of who God is. Now that doesn't change who God is. But that's what our perception of them is. And when we, when we trust in God through all of those things, when we trust and know that God is perfect in everything that he does, and we believe that with our minds, we say that with our mouths, and we believe with our hearts that God, God is, is a God that is in control of all of these things, that he loves us, that our present and current understanding of them is good. And true. The last thing that we see here is that that this is also this relationship is also intermixed. You see, Abraham didn't just go by himself. God calls him, he gets up, he makes preparations, and he goes. But he doesn't go by himself. He takes two young men with him. Two young men that aren't in his family, we're supposing. But they're workers, people that live under his roof, maybe. We as Christians in the United States have this issue of, of having our Christianity and just keeping it to ourselves. We don't like to share this with the world. 
We don't, we don't tell our friends and our family about, these, about this thing that will save them from eternity in hell. What we do, like the children's song, is we have our fire and we put it under a bushel so nobody can see it. Abraham's doing the opposite here. He's showing those that are working for him, those that are living under his household, his son, and those that are working for him, what his faith is rooted in. He's taking them to go and worship. In verse 3 it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two young men with him and his son, son Isaac. Our relationship with God, our relationship with Christ, cannot be some type of secret that we're trying to hide. It can't be. Otherwise, we've missed what the call on each of our lives is, and that's to share Jesus with the world. Now, we're not all missionaries. We're not all going to go on even short-term missions trips. But we have a circle of influence in which, in which we can share who Jesus is through your actions, through your nonverbal actions through the way that you love them and love those around you, the way that you're patient with them, the way God is patient with us. It's intermixed. There should be no doubt that you're a Christian and those around you should know, know that as well. There should be no secret agent Christians around. The second thing we see is that God's call demands obedience. This is not God just sitting up on his throne and pounding his fists. I demand that you do this or that. No. But we say that we believe in God. We say that we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That faith, when acted upon, is obedience. It doesn't mean that our faith won't be tested because I guarantee that it will. We see this in the life of Abraham. It's easy to look back, and, and I encourage you to do this for yourself, is look back into your past and look to see how God has influenced your life in different decisions. Because that's a great way to see what God is doing in your life. We're able to look back and see this in the life of Abraham. As we look back over those chapters between 2 and 21, we're able to see how God has influenced Abraham's understanding of who God is. Remember, Moses is the one who wrote Genesis. So Abraham didn't have any of this written down for him. It was told to him from stories, passed down from generation to generation of possibly who God was. But we, we know from last week that Abraham, he worshipped pagan gods before God called him. Some of these stories, though, intermix with, with um, like the story of Noah. There's, there's a bunch of different stories that, that are told about other pagan gods of, of how, that, how that story plays out. But this obedience to God requires immediate action. Notice in our text, uh, again, verses 2 and 3, he, he says... Uh, take your son, your only son, from uh, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him, excuse me, offer him there 
as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. So Abraham rises and he sees it's a rainy day and stays at home. How many times do we, do we have these uh, desires in our heart for the moment and, and then never act on them? God is calling Abraham to go, and that's exactly what he does. He doesn't wait. He doesn't argue with God. He doesn't show anxiety. He doesn't talk with Sarah about it. He gets up and is obedient to God. There's no question about that. He doesn't talk with any about, anyone about it. We're going to worship. God has called me to do this, and this is what I'm going to do. What a crazy thought that is, that, that Abraham is being called to sacrifice his son, and he doesn't even flinch. He doesn't even flinch about it. He gets up, and he goes. He's methodical about what he's doing. Now, before we continue, this is a one-time event. God is not calling any of us to sacrifice our children, okay? But let's be honest. This is happening in our culture today. And I don't mean to get political or anything like that, but, but we, in the form of abortions, this is happening thousands of times a day in our country. We sacrifice to different gods. We sacrifice to the God of, of, of our career. We sacrifice to the God of, of bad decisions. So we're just going to make up for that and, and hit a reset button. This is happening in our culture today. The outcome is the same. The reasons are different. So as we move on, the... the the thing that we have to remember is that, that Isaac, or I'm sorry, Abraham is, is, is making these preparations. He's not flinching in this. I don't know about you, but, but like when I'm working on a project at home or, or, or at work, I don't do a whole lot of pre preparing. I, I do a little measuring, and then I end up making 400 trips to Home Depot because, because I, I, I messed up 399 times. Uh, this week, though, I got sent to a class to, to help me with these types of things. So we, we went to this class, and, and it, was, it was about measuring pipe. And, and so you can measure the pipe and, and, and make one cut and be able to fit everything perfectly, whether it's threaded pipe, whether it's PVC or copper, it doesn't matter. So we went through this class, and I can tell you I struggled. I'm pretty good at math, and I struggled through this class. Unlike me, though, Abraham is very methodical about what he's doing. He knows exactly what he needs. He grabs those things and then goes. He's listening to what God has told him. Obedience also requires his or God's innovation. One of the things that I noticed when reading this passage is that it was not something that Abraham had conjured up in his mind. He wasn't, he wasn't there saying, God, I want to please you, so I'm going to go sacrifice my son. Now, before we move on, 
this is what was happening in the culture that Abraham was living in. That, that there were these other uh, gods that people, to, to, to show their love for God, they would sacrifice their children. That was the ultimate, the ultimate way that somebody would be able to show this other God that they loved them, that this is where their obedience was. So, but, but this idea of child sacrifice wasn't something that was foreign to Abraham because he had seen his neighbors doing it. So when God called him to this, he's like, well, I, I, I've seen this before. Uh, it's not something that I want to do, but I've seen this. I, he can comprehend what's going on there. To us looking on the outside, this, this seems unbelievable, but we're told in, in, in Hebrews, uh, in our, back in our passage in Hebrews, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, um, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering his only son. He acted on this call that God had put on him. He didn't fight with God over these things. This is the promised son that that both Moses and the writer of Hebrews calls his only son. Now we know that this isn't his only son, but this is the promised son that, that God had promised him. This is the heir, the, the one that the nation of Israel would continue to be born out of. What God has done here was given him the greatest desire of his heart, that is Isaac and then ask for that gift back. Remember that as we go forward. God has given Abraham the greatest desire of his heart, and then ask for that same gift back. God has chosen to test the real character of Abraham's faith. Abraham is telling God, God, I trust in you. I trust you, God. God says, okay, well, let's put this to the test. When Abraham picked up all that he had owned and, 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 and moved to the land of Canaan, he was testing that. When all throughout those episodes that I talked about earlier, he was testing the faith of Abraham. One of the lessons that's hardest for my children is, is when they buy something or when they're given something especially when they buy it, this always comes up because my children aren't perfect and, and when they mess up, things get taken away. And so one of their first responses is, but that's mine. Yes, that, it is yours, but you live under the provision of, of, of my house. So Becky and I are the authorities. We have the right to take these things away. Just as we give them gifts, we have the right to take them away. Are we willing to give these things up, though? In the illustration with my children, they don't want to give them up. These are mine. I, I own these things. What are we willing to give up? What are we holding on to with, with closed fists instead of open hands? 
we say in our, wor in our evangelical world that we live in here in the Midwest that, that we understand that, that our kids are a gift from God. Do we? Again, God's not calling us to sacrifice our children, but are we willing to give them up? Are we willing to, to give them back to God for whatever God is calling them to? Is God calling them to a life of service in which we know as parents God is calling you to something hard and we fight against that? You're holding on to your children with closed fists. Is it your money? Is it your possessions? These are great gifts from God, but we have distorted them into something that now takes the place of God because we're holding on to these with closed fists instead of open hands. Instead of something to care for and treasure, we hold on tight. It was interesting when we started, before we started this series, uh, the week that we, were, uh, that we were preaching on Cain and Abel, one of the discussions that was going around the, the preaching table was that it was so interesting that one generation removed from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve walked with God. They walked with God. So they could speak from experience to both of their sons, Cain and Abel, and only half of them believed. Think about that. That is insane that they could tell Tell their boys, listen, paradise is awesome. There's nothing great. Like, you can't even imagine these things. And yet, only half of them believed. This is not, this testing of our faith was for Abraham's sake, not God's. God already knew the outcome of this test. God knew that Abraham was going to pass this test with flying colors. Again, this is not for God's sake, but for Abraham, to bring Abraham to a point of intense surrender. A place of intense surrender. Look with me again to Genesis 22. 4 through 10 says, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to, the young men, to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will, will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of, uh, of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and took his hand, uh, and took his hand, took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, a Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. Notice that his Reaction is exactly the same as what it was when God called them. There's an intimacy there again. He said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went up, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built an altar 
built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. There is, again, there's no hesitation there. We sing the song, I surrender all. We, this is surrendering all. There is no hesitation. There, we're not told of anxiety within him. We're not told of any of that. There's no reservations. He's trusting God to a point that he's about to sacrifice his son. Now we know God stops him, or an angel stops him. The first thing that we have to remember this is that we are given the same amount of faith as Abraham had. The faith of a mustard seed. Think about that. Later in Mark, we're, 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 that's one of the parables of Jesus. The faith of a mustard seed to move mountains. Here's Abraham moving the mountain that God had placed before him. It was interesting, uh, one commentator, you can see in, the, in, in these, these six verses that, that there's all these parallels between Isaac and, and, and Jesus. One commentator made these observations. Abraham offered his only son. God offered his only son. Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice. Jesus carried the cross for the sacrifice. Isaac cried out to his father, and Jesus cried out to his father. Isaac escaped death after a three days' journey. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. Abraham indicated God will provide for the sacrifice. And God provided Jesus, the lamb, for the sacrifice. God provided a ram, a male sheep, as a substitutionary sacrifice. God provided a male, Jesus, as a substitutionary sacrifice. The ram was caught by its horns on his head in a thicket, which is thorns. And Jesus wore a crown of thorns on his head, a symbol of the sin that he bore. Sacrifice offered at a specific location on Mount Moriah. For hundreds of years, sacrifices would be offered from the same spot inside Solomon's temple and the second temple. And Jesus is crucified outside the city walls on the same mountain. And when that happened, the veil in the temple was ripped in two. The ram was God's provision. Abraham prophetically named the place, pointing to the crucifixion where God made the ultimate provision, the sacrifice of his son. When we start to look at this, intense surrender from a 50,000 foot view. We can clearly see what God is doing. He's testing the character of, of Abraham's faith, but he's also giving uh, Abraham a way to foretell the future coming Messiah. Now he doesn't, he, he doesn't have the concept of this yet. But as this story is retold and retold and more history is revealed and more of the Messiah is re revealed, we can look back on this and see that God is foretelling the coming of Jesus. This is no, these are no coincidences. God provided exactly what he wanted to do at the exact moment in which he wanted them to happen. And he would not have called Abraham if 
He did not know that he was going to follow through because he knew. There was no doubt in God's mind of what was going to happen. That brings us to our third, third and final point. God's blessing comes in the form of provision. We see this first in the moment that God provides, right? Abraham said, my son, God's going to provide, God's going to provide the sacrifice, and he did. Abraham had complete faith in God. Whether that was going to be his son or a ram, he had no idea. But we're told in Hebrews that he believed that God could even raise him for the dead. Think about this for a moment. This had never been done yet. How could Abraham conceive of such a notion that God would raise his son from the dead? But he did. God gave him the faith to believe things that had never taken place yet. Now, if somebody's raised from the dead, we can look back in Scripture and say, well, this has at least happened before. Before this, before this event, that had never happened. We see this in the present provision, but we also see this in the future provision. We see this in the sacrifice that God had of his son Jesus on the cross for your sins and mine. That because we are sinners in deep need of a Savior, that God provided for our future, our future with him. The last thing that we see is, is that we see this in the promises of God. All throughout Scripture, we can see that God's never going to leave you or forsake you. God's going to work all these things out for the good of those who love him. God's going to continue to provide. He's going to continue to promise and fulfill those promises in our lives. Back in Hebrews, in verse 18, it says, Of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring, offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did raise him back. And we see this in the promises of Jesus. That Jesus died on the cross. Three days later, he rose again, and he's promised to come back in the future. As I close, there's a story that I came across in a book that I was reading. And uh, I, think it, I think it illustrates this idea of, of what we've been talking about really well. The writer says, One night a family of five was crammed into a Volkswagen, inching along in a heavy rainstorm, and suddenly they saw a man and a woman walking along the highway in the pouring rain. They pulled over and asked if they could help, and uh, they saw the woman was carrying a baby. She said they lived several miles back and, and that their home had been struck by lightning and had burned to the ground. And, and now they're walking to her sister's house that is seven miles away. Feeling sorry for uh, this family, uh, the man reached, reached into his pocket and pulled out a 20, gave it to the woman and drove off, realizing there wasn't enough room in the car for eight people. They're in a small Volkswagen. A couple of miles down the road, he stopped and, and asked his family, how much, how much money do you have? They pulled everything and came up with just under $100. He drove back to, to, to where the couple was uh, still walking. And he asked, do you still have the money I gave you? Surprised, the woman said, yes, we do. And he said, then give it to me. Perplexed, she reached into her pocket and pulled out the 20, handed it to him. 
He combined it with the money that that he had uh, that he had and handed it handed it all to her, saying, "Here, our family would like you to have this." You see, this is the way God treats the blessings that He gives us. That when we hold on to these things with closed hands, we only have a twenty. We only have the blessing. But when we hold these things with open hands, as Abraham did Isaac, as he's obedient, as we're obedient to God, God is going to make these blessings larger. Now, we're not told that we're going to gain more money because of God, but he's going to continue to bless us beyond, far beyond what we could ever hope or dream.